Inc. presents Booksmart, where we bring to light the books beloved by prominent entrepreneurs, founders, and notable figures across the spectrum of industry. I'm Cameron Albert Deitch, a reporter at Inc. On this episode, I spoke with Dan Klein. He's the co-founder and CEO of Tiesta Tea, a Chicago-based loose-leaf tea company. Tiesta made the Inc. 5000 list of fastest-growing companies in America in 2017, 2018, and 2019. And Klein was ranked one of Inc.'s 30 under 30 entrepreneurs to watch in 2018. His book smart pick, Bag the Elephant, by serial entrepreneur and author Steve Kaplan. Hello, Dan Klein, and welcome to Booksmart. Thank you, Cameron. Appreciate your time today, and uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. What book are we talking about today? So we're talking about a book called Bag the Elephant. It's written by Steve Kaplan. Give me the 30-second elevator pitch. What is this book about in a nutshell? Really, the book centers around kind of thinking bigger and, and how to integrate yourself in these elephant organizations that exist in, in the business world. Do you remember the first time that you picked it up and what initially drew you to it? Back in 2010, when we started the business, we were fortunate enough to be in an incubator program at the University of Illinois down in Champaign. And so when we were in this program, you would have different speakers and people would come in and just kind of help out, you know, here and there. And so Steve Kaplan, the writer of the book, came in to speak and, you know, he mentioned a few of the tactics that 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 were spoken about in the book and, and we were just kind of fascinated by it. And so we ended up connecting with him after and, and I've gotten to know him very well over the years, but picked up the book pretty much right after I met him in 2010. So 10 years ago. And, and it literally has changed the way that in terms of business books, I've read quite a few of them. There's a lot of great books out there. This one has changed our business philosophy more than any other book I've ever read. Talk to me about that. What's the one lesson from this book that has most affected the way that you lead? So, you know, when when we were starting out in 2010, I mean, we were, Patrick and I, as co-founders, we were 21, 22 years old. So we were young, we were hungry, you know, and, and we really wanted to make an impact on the market. And so, you know, the, the kind of conventional wisdom is, you know, build your way up slowly, but surely, which we did, but, you know, really what this, the, one of the core takeaways from this book is that no one is out of reach for a small business to sell to, you know, a lot of people may say, okay, well, you, you, you've only been a year in business. You have no chance dealing with a fortune 500 company, but what this book talks about is that the opposite of that, where a small business actually has advantages to selling to a larger company because of the the way it can be nimble. And just also the, the way you can kind of focus on them as a customer and really, you know, not only grow the business with them, but also help them as much as you can. What are some of those advantages? What is inherent to a small business setting that, that gives you an edge? So, you know, I, I would say the main, the main edge is, is really being able to tailor your product line or your experience specifically for a, a large customer. And we've done it many times over. And, and, you know, I think big businesses, you know, the, the kind of your legendary, you know, consumer packaged goods companies that are out there, 
their pipeline to innovate takes years and years and years, and they'll be the first to admit it. Uh, you know, whereas a small business, if, if they get a request from a large customer, like, you know, in our case, yeah, we've done it with target. We've done it with Kroger and really there's a way for you to really tailor, you know, your next innovation move to, to really hit on something that a big customer would really appreciate and, and something that they need. And I, I think it's something that really only a small company can do quickly. A big company can do it. They, it just takes them a lot longer and they have a lot more red tape to cut through, you know, whereas we can work with a big customer and, and maybe turn something around in three months, six months and, and, and really drive some cool innovation that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Let's take Target and Kroger as examples. When did you first reach out to them? What did you say? Like, how did you actually approach them as someone they had never heard of before? And in retrospect now, would you have done any of that differently? So one of the first elephants that we went after was Target, actually, back in 2012. And so, you know, we had started to develop some relationships and we definitely had a little bit of a track record. But I mean, we're still super new to the business, you know, two years in and, and we we straight up got the contact of of the the buyer and and went as hard as we could and we ended up getting our loose leaf tea in into their stores within about a year of that that initial conversation with them and the funny thing was once we started talking to the buyer she changed our lives the reason i say that is because we got her interest via email and and had some conversations you know doing it that way and then she called us in for a meeting and we just shared our story. We just shared what we were passionate about, what we had done thus far. Up to that point, there, we had very little data to show about our successes. I mean, it was basically just a concept that we had seen work at other stores. And the buyer goes, you know, I got to be honest with you, I've been looking for this type of product for years. And so we asked her to elaborate on it. And she's like, well, you know, at the time, Tivana was a huge player in the market. They hadn't sold to Starbucks yet. They had hundreds and hundreds of stores and malls across the U.S. And she's like, I, I've never been able to find that type of tea, that very exotic loose leaf tea. And she's like, you guys have that. And I want to give you guys a shot. And so she gave us a shot. And we're so grateful. I mean, Target has been a customer ever since. And we work with them on a number of different things uh, today. But that really showed us the power of not really setting a ceiling on what you can do, even at that early stage where a lot of people would say conventional wisdom tells you not to, not to do that. You shouldn't do it until you're ready, but we figured it out and we ended up hitting a need in the marketplace and a need for our buyer. And, and ultimately that product line is, is one of our most successful today. It sounds, obviously, and I think you will agree with this, there's a lot of luck involved in that particular process. You happen to have the right story with the right buyer at the right, came together almost magically. To folks out there who, who are saying, well, gosh, the, my, my first attempt at elephants is probably not going to go nearly as well. How do you, how do you address the, the follow-ups? How do you address the other elephants that you need to bag? How do you learn and iterate and sort of hone your pitch so that you're less dependent on luck the more you do it? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think over time, like what that really taught us, you know, one tactic that we use pretty frequently now, you know, in terms of sales is, you know, we'll start the meeting, any any kind of sales meeting with a, a question. And, and the first thing we'll ask is to the buyer is, what are you looking to do with, with your category? You know, what's your vision for the next, you know, one to two years? And a lot of times the information that you get is really, really helpful in that conversation because you can essentially tailor that conversation to fit. If it's something that you can offer, it, it's a way to really drive home this, this idea that they also really want to do. So over the years, we've used that more and more and, and have become more successful dealing with elephants. The other really key piece to it, and a, another thing that the book really talks about is not just getting in with an elephant, but staying in with an elephant. And it's hard. And, and, and Steve talks about how he had a marketing and advertising business. And the main elephant he talks about in the book is Procter & Gamble, right? One of the largest companies in the world. And he said at one point, he was so close to people in that company that he had his own badge. So he was never an employee of Procter & Gamble, but he had an employee badge to get in that building because he was there so much. and. What, what he talks about is this idea of not just focusing on one person in the organization, but also developing relationships in the organization, so much so that he would actually chart them out. So he would like chart out an org chart, like, okay, this person's on top. They're the boss of this person. This person has three people under them. And he would get to know those three people under the buyer. And, you know, and not just traditional things like, you know, sending them a Christmas card, but like actually trying to get to know what their needs were and also how to work with them. And I think that tool is, is even more relevant and really can train your company for success because what you're doing is you're, you're trying to understand the different pieces of the puzzle that you have to work with and how you can help each of those individual people it's not just target, right? Everybody has different things that they work on. They have a job role, they have a title, and they have specific initiatives that they have to accomplish every single year. The more and more as an entrepreneur that you can understand what those initiatives are, even if they're very small, they could be really impactful for, for that person at the, at the elephant company. So those are a couple of learnings that, that we've used and over the years, just try to tailor it, you know, to make sure that we're continuously doing that. As you scale, as your company scales and grows and your scope gets larger, your ambition gets larger, does it become more challenging to maintain this relationship focused approach? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, the general demands of a growing, you know, small business, it, it is tough to continue to, foster those relationships, you know, especially at, at the CEO or president level, you know, because everyone, of course, you know, as, as a entrepreneur, everyone wants to talk to the owners, right. But you can't be there for every conversation or every phone call, but what you can do. And, and this, another thing I learned over the years is the value of what I'll call executive support where, you know, I, I had a sales call today and my sales guy ran the whole call. I spoke for maybe a few minutes and just chimed in with a few things and explained our philanthropic uh, offerings and things like that, where I think there's a way to have 
a small relationship with those people, even if you have people under you, but it's definitely a challenge. And, and so the way that we've dealt with it is, is training our organization to think that way when, Hey, you know, when, when Amazon talks to you, when Walmart talks to you, when target talks to you, doesn't need to be just me, treat them with the utmost respect, get to know them, try to understand what they're trying to do because as you grow, if your organization continues to do that, then it lives on. And, and that, and that I think is the key to sustaining it. Is that really the biggest difference between the way that you approach these elephants now and the way that you did maybe eight, 10 years ago? Yeah, I would say so for sure. Um, you know, now that we have more of a track record, it's a little easier to get in front of the elephants, but there's still tons of elephants that we're talking to in maybe different areas, you know, whether it's food service or restaurants or, or different initiatives that we have, there's um, tons and tons of elephants out there. And, you know, at the beginning, if it's, if it's a big enough elephant and an important enough elephant, you know, Patrick, my co-founder and myself, we'll spend a good amount of time cultivating that relationship. But then, the key is really to make sure that the people right below you are also involved so that at a certain point, they will probably take over that account or take over the relationship. And, and you want that, you want it to be seamless. And, and that's, I think the best way to do it. What's the most unexpected lesson that you've learned from this book? Um, I, I, you know, I think the most unexpected lesson is that you'd be surprised that still to this day, the power of a phone call time and time again, we've gotten people on the phone that you would, that you, you would only dream of as an entrepreneur. And, you know, a lot of times elephants and, and buyers that you're talking to, they might get 500 to a thousand emails a day. And it's easy for an email to get lost in translation. But when you pick up the phone and you're not one you know, you, you, you're, the, you're not one of 500 anymore. Maybe you're one of 10 or 20. I, who knows how many calls they get. But at the end of the day, it's people are always so surprised. How did you get a hold of them? Oh, we just picked up the phone and called them. They have a phone number. They're generally going to answer their phone or at least listen to their voicemail. It's just a super powerful tool that I think is really underutilized in, in business. It's been, what, a decade or so since you first picked this book up. If you could add anything to it now with the benefit of the experience that you've accrued at Tiesta T, what would it be? You know, one thing that I would love to add in the book would be just kind of a, a bit of a footnote about how to structure uh, constructive emails for people that you're looking to, to develop relationships with. So one of the things that we do in sales, even if we're, it's, we're talking to an elephant and we know it's, it's going to be a while until we get something going with them. Something that we'll consistently do is provide them with industry data that we get, right? Because we're, we have our pulse on the industry. We understand the flavors that are popular. We know where the trends are heading. We have a lot of research at our disposal. And so for us, you know, what can you do in that time period, that year time period where you might not actually sell them anything what can you do to, to develop that relationship? The easily one of the top things you can do is make their job easier by providing great information. So, you know, we'll send emails with, you know, different bullet points and some graphs and we'll break down like, Hey, you know, just wanted to let you know that this trend is, 
is extra hot right now in tea. This is why. This is the research behind it. And a lot of these buyers respond, and they're they're very appreciative of it. And it's not that they don't have access to that information, but what we do in these emails is we try and make it easy for them. We want them to be able to dissect something quickly and not have to read a hundred page research report about the state of the tea industry. We can give you the cliff notes on it. That's our job. And we're happy to provide that information and that insight. And then hopefully down the road, it leads to a sale or an opportunity for us. I imagine it's not easy to anticipate someone else's needs. What happens when you miss the mark? The number one thing you you always have to do in that case is is ask why, and and don't be afraid to ask why. Right? It, rejection is is something that any entrepreneur or any salesperson has dealt with extensively. But the key to a good rejection is to understand why the rejection happened or why something that you created for them didn't really hit the mark, and and then use that to improve in the future. And the way that uh, what I found over the years is the way that you handle those tough conversations with customers and, and those tough scenarios, that's what they really remember. And so, you know, if you can come back to them in a year or two years and, and maybe you've developed a better solution or maybe their needs have changed, but at the end of the day, you, you handled the rejection the right way. And that made them remember you. And I I think that's the biggest piece is you want them to remember you and the company and you want them to have a positive outlook on on the company, even if it didn't work out. With a book like Bag the Elephant, do you think that it's most important for a brand new founder to read someone a few years into running a company or a 25-year business veteran? It's a great question. I, I mean, I, I would say it's applicable to both, maybe a little bit more to the entrepreneur, but I even think, you know, business that's been out there 20, 25 years, you know, maybe has one, two big customers that they've, you know, legacy customers that they've had for quite some time. And they're looking to figure out how, how do we get to the next level? How do we grow our business? You know, how do we double our business? And, you know, the elephants are, are a pretty great way to, to increase your revenue significantly and potentially profit margin also. And, and it's applicable to, to those people too. And, and also, you know, even companies that already do business with elephants, the the book really helped us refine our approach and and make it a, a little bit more seamless, a little classier. How do we teach it to our organization? All of those things that, that I think are super important, you know, as you grow, the book really did a nice job of teaching not just the beginning of how to get an elephant, but also how to maintain or grow an elephant, even for an established business. Do you ever run the risk of, of over-reliance on elephants, of focusing so deeply on these, these big, big targets that you miss the forest for the trees? Yes, definitely, for sure. You know, and, and some in our industry might you know, might not agree with our approach. You know, it's very typical in the food and beverage industry to build very small. A lot of times, like in food and beverage, like you might start out with like a local chain. And then typically the next step is like Whole Foods. And we're not in Whole Foods. And they're not one of our elephants or core customers. And hopefully they are someday. And hopefully a few <laughs> of them are listening today because uh, we would love the opportunity. But 
we really felt that, you know, we had a product that could hit the mainstream and that's the way we, we thought about it and went after it. And, and it's, it's not always the, the, the exact same path for every entrepreneur, but by using the elephants, I think ultimately you're, you're putting yourself in the best position to succeed from a long-term perspective from a short-term perspective, yeah, I mean, you, you know, continue to build your base. And we tried to do that too. But yeah, there might be some some low-hanging fruit that we're missing. But that low-hanging fruit to us also, as you can imagine, you know, especially a business like ours, we sell tea to coffee shops. We sell tea to huge retail chains. And, and so a lot of times the resources that you need for each of those, it's not that different in terms of amount of time. And so what we learned is, you know, consistently use that 80-20 rule, make sure you're spending the right amount of time with the right amount of customers and with the right customers. And yeah, it's, it's not always how people think, but it's, it's served well for us and, and we continue to use it. Dan, thanks for joining us on Booksmart. Thank you, Cameron. Check out Bag the Elephant, How to Win and Keep Big Customers by Steve Kaplan. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. This has been Booksmart by Inc., produced by Franz Bowen.